This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Ringgit and Sense is brought to you by Sun Life Malaysia. Good morning. You're tuned in to Ringgit and Sense, the show all about personal finance. And I'm Sim Wee Boon. Last month, UCSI released a rather alarming research which found that 73% of Malaysian youth are in debt. The survey, which sampled close to about 1,100 Malaysians aged between 18 and 40, found that key driving factors for the debt were issues like financial constraint, inflation and luxurious lifestyle. Now, the report noted that the results also imply that three-quarters of Malaysian youths do not have sufficient capital for financial commitments. So, joining me to discuss this very serious problem is Nirmala Subramaniam. She's the Head of Household Financial Education Department with the Credit Counseling and Debt Management Agency, or better known as AKPK. Good morning and welcome back to the show, Nirmala. Good morning, Simkyu. Thank you for having me back. Okay, so let's start off with uh, these findings, this research, which made headlines all week last week, right? Uh, 73% of 1,077 Malaysians, which UCSI surveyed, aged between 18 to 40, are in debt. 30% of those loans are for vehicles, 28% for education, 16% to buy houses. I mean, does these findings resonate with what AKPK has been seeing? How serious of an issue is youth debt in Malaysia? Well, uh, if we were to compare these stats with what we have, it's actually those who come to us with financial problem. Uh, what we do see, uh, we only see about 13.3% of those aged between 20 to 30 are coming. I mean, those of all the clients who are coming to us, 20 to 30 is about 13.3% uh, with the age of 20 to 30. But we do see a majority majority of our clients, which is about 41%, 42%, are from the age of 30 to 40. So if we, if we were to uh, translate this, or if we were to look in deeper, right? So when commitments are growing, you know, in their, I mean, 30 to 40 are where most of the people are, you know, they are starting, I mean, they are starting a family, they are getting married, <clears throat> you know, they're probably getting into more commitments. So this is when more responsibilities kick in. So they feel the pinch and they really can't manage. But what we can say is that this is because when during their younger days, you know, they were not uh, serious or they were not probably looking into this financial management as something that's very important or, you know, more of it is like looking as it's not really critical. I don't have that much of commitments yet. So probably when, that's when we see when the commitments kicks in, uh, the numbers that they, they feel the pitch. They feel the pitch. Uh, they find it difficult, you know, and they sought our advice and uh, assistance. So uh, we would say that, you know, we do see the similarity of the data, but we, we do see more of them coming to us up between the age of 30 to 40. Okay, so when they come to you, right, what are usually the issues that they are having? Like, what's the trigger point, right? Because to, to address that you have an issue is one thing, but to actually go and seek help, it, 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 it takes a lot of motivation for that to happen, right? I mean, this is purely based on observation, right? We do a survey too. We do ask around and we do ask them when they come to us, we ask them, why are you actually facing financial difficulties? You know, what, what are the reasons and uh, what could be uh, the, the main reasons for you to fall into this? And the majority now have mentioned that 
uh, the top most uh, common answers given to us are high cost of living, rising cost of living, and also uh, poor financial planning. When we look back at why poor financial planning, it's also to say when they actually decided or to commit to something, they were, they were not really well uh, informed or they have the knowledge about what they're getting themselves into. For an example, this is a very classic case of a, a, a person, a client coming to AKPK, you know. When we look back, they would have started with, most of it would have started with their first loan, which is the higher purchase, right? So uh, For a car. Take up a higher purchase, they have to buy a car. We normally would just look at, oh, okay, what is my installment payment to the uh, to my salary, right? So can I afford that installment payment? So if I can, yes, so I go with it. But what many forget to see or, you know, they kind of overlook is the other expenses that come with the car. So you, when you buy a car, it's just not uh, paying the monthly installment. You've got other expenses that come with it. And when we do not uh, analyze or when we do not look whether we can really afford the whole package, actually, uh, that's when they go, they have to sustain, they have to go and look for other loans. So, uh, start off with the higher purchase and then to manage the higher purchase, they start using the credit card and to cover one credit card, we go for the next and to cover the both credit cards, probably next to a personal loan. So, it's, it's more about the trend of uh, taking up new loans to cover up old loans, to manage old loans. So, this is like a quite a common trend that we see of why people get into uh, over-indebtedness. Yeah, so it's like a spiraling thing that just keeps on getting bigger and bigger. It's a hole that gets deeper and deeper, right? But yes. I'm curious, uh, right? Yes. Are there no stopgap measures? I mean, do they not have anyone warning them or anyone telling them that like, you know, you know, you need, you need to think about this before it gets really... Uh, serious, you know. Um, I think there's two sides of this, right? One is they themselves, one is maybe the people around them. And another part, we'll get into it that a bit later, which is the companies themselves that are facilitating this. I'm curious to get your thoughts on this, right? Is, is, is this feels like there is no boundary for this? Uh, I would say there will come to a point when, you know, they really can't pay. Of course, you know, when even when the financial institutions give them loan, there is a, there's a cap. They do look at the debt to income ratio to say, okay, nothing more than this amount, right? But by then, I think we personally feel it's just a bit too late already, you know. Most of the time, it's like you get carried away because you are vulnerable. You just are trying to settle off your loans and you think the easiest way is to take up another loan because that's most accessible, it's most easiest and, you know, it's available. But what we see is like many do not know what is their real affordability here? And that, that becomes an issue. And they do not really analyze and look at themselves to say, hey, look, whether I can really afford this much of amount. And if I can't, so now what do I do with the current problem? You know, where do I go? What do I do? Who do I speak to? So, And also, sometimes it's wrong information uh, given by, you know, there, there are a lot of other I mean, advice. When we ask around advice, it's easier saying, why don't you just take this loan to settle up this loan? You know? So, there are two parts. I agree with you, Steve. There's two uh, angles here. One is coming from the borrower himself, the consumer itself, and the other party is also the provider. But we've got to understand the fact here that uh, sales will be everywhere. You know, uh, offers will always be there. 
there will be a lot of offers. There will be a lot of uh, opportunities and ideas and solutions there. But as the borrower and as the consumer, we have to analyze ourselves first. We need to know what we can really do and what we can't. So in that sense, it's like looking for the right information, you know, uh, asking the right party to say, okay, what I can do, looking for the education. So that's also something that the borrower must look for when they're in trouble. And uh, what we will normally say to avoid all this, right? So like, I don't, even before I take a loan, uh, we always tell them to follow these three P steps, you know, analyze your purpose of taking the loan, your payment affordability, and your payment records first before we even commit for any kind of loan. So when we talk about the 3P, when we talk about the purpose, uh, I must understand first and foremost, why am I taking this loan? You know, um, Is this loan that's going to help me increase my net worth? Uh, is this loan going to help me? You know, like when I buy a property, uh, in most cases, the property value goes up. So I would definitely gain a profit from this. So those are very productive loans, we call them loans. So we have to be very uh, careful and cautious to go only for productive loans. That means there is a gain for us from that. And what, like what the survey mentioned, you know, when we look into lifestyle, uh, this is something very dangerous. When we start taking loans more for lifestyle purposes, uh, that will really snowball and it will take a very deep hole for us. You know, So the purpose, the utmost, most important thing is understanding why I need this loan, for example, must have the reason. If it's just lifestyle, you can always delay. It's not like, oh, I must have it now. I must do it now. So there's always this uh, part that, you know, I can always postpone this purchase. There will always be another time. So that purpose must be um, must be very, uh, must be identified and must be, you know, very strong there. And then we go into the second key when we talk about the payment affordability. So this is where, uh, how do I know whether I can really afford this loan or not? Uh, this is where there's also uh, a difference because the financial institutions can offer you up to 60% uh, debt-to-income ratio, meaning that out of your income, you could take up up to 60% to pay up for the loans, right? Monthly installments can be up to 60%. But when we commit to 60% of our income going for loan repayment, they only will have 40% for their living expenses. And this is generally not now. So what we are trying to say is better, it's better that we turn, the, turn it around like, 40% for loans and 60% for living expenses. So that will be more ideal. Also, we must look at what is our salary range. So if you're just a young graduate, you got into the job and, uh, you know, earning about 2000 to 2005, if I were to take 40%, that's already 800 ringgit. And how would you survive with the balance 1002? So that's not going to be enough. So that, that formula will not work here. So you've got to also analyze what is the ideal living expenses that I need. All right, we're going to take a short break for some messages. Don't go anywhere, BFM 89.9. Stay tuned for Ringgit and Sense, brought to you by Sun Life Malaysia. 
Welcome back. You're tuned in to Ringgit and Sense. I'm Sim Weeboon, and today's topic is youth in debt. This comes off the recent UCSI survey that found nearly 70% of Malaysian youths are in debt. Joining me to discuss this is Nirmala Subramaniam, Head of Household Financial Education Department at the Credit Counseling and Debt Management Agency, or better known as AKPK. Now, before the break, we were discussing the youth debt situation and factors leading to it. And one thing that stands out for me is the lack of financial education. And I don't mean like kids learning it for themselves or parents teaching them. But, you know, from my experience, there has been no formal education when it comes to your finances. What do you think, Nirmala? How can they be incorporated into schools? Definitely, it has to be incorporated. And even now, when, you know, it's more challenging than what it was many years ago. You know, now, even without your wallet or even without cash, you can commit to purchases. You can commit to banking. So it's becoming more easy or more easier to spend. So definitely the education needs to be there. And we do have, actually, uh, schools have started uh, teaching financial education has parts. They have certain topics in their subject, uh, in mathematics and Bahasa Melayu. Uh, from year four onwards, they have certain topics already introduced to students in school and there are many uh, school adoption programs done by Bank Negara uh, with the, uh, our banks, our financial institutions, you know, where they do certain kind of uh, projects and financial literacy, financial education project programs around. So it has to start. So, and in fact, there is a research, I mean, behavioral researchers say that, um, you know, to teach somebody or to, to inculcate a good financial habit, it actually has to start as young as a three-year-old kid, you know, because habit starts early, right? So to create like, you know, simple things like, you know, electricity, water, you know, how do I save, you know, it's all money, right? So how, how do you teach them to switch off? So those are all actually behavioral habit or, you know, habits that we want to inculcate from young. So uh, we have financial education uh, incorporated in our school. And at AKPK, we have our subject on financial education, financial literacy in all the higher learning institutions. We have some higher learning institutions who have taken up the subject and offering to their students. So I agree with you, Sim, like, you know, when you're a student, you are not, you're least concerned, actually, you're very least concerned yeah, exactly, about yeah. uh, finances much, right? Yeah, I mean, you, you, you would, the most, the most, the most challenging financial decision you had to make most probably if you're in school is what to get for lunch and, you know, yeah. these 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 things that you, you you depend on via allowances, right? But the the real brunt of these financial issues that we are talking about that is leading the youth to debt are the big ticket items, you know, buying cars, buying a house, yes. and I think what is part of the issue is the complexity of it because it's not as easy as just buying a house, you know, there is these interest rates, these other things, insurance and everything, but even not even getting into that, right, jumping into, kind of like going back a bit to what you're saying about how financial habits are established when you're young, right, this brings to mind the idea of saving because I think that is the one thing that um, school syllabus aside is something that maybe uh, within homes has been has been kind of like tried to taught to you when you were young. But this reminds me of a survey, another survey that was uh, released last year, I believe, you know, by Ringgit Plus, right, which actually showed that 
you know, a majority of Malaysians, I think about 70 of the 3,000 plus that they have surveyed, can only save less than 500 ringgit a month or nothing, right? So depth aside, we also have a crisis where it just feels like our youths can't save money. Is it simply because we have a wage issue, people are just being paid enough, or has cost of living risen so high that to even save, you can't do it and you need to take a loan out just to live your life? I mean, there are a lot of uh, reasons we can say to that. Uh, but when we talk about savings, you know, the, the problem is we look at savings to save when we think about it, we think that you have to start with a big amount. You have to allocate, like, because the rule of thumb, you know, allocate 10%. Oh, I can't allocate 10% is too much. I don't have enough. But what if I were to say that, why can't you save one ringgit a day? And that is also saving. And I'm sure you would agree with me that, you know, uh, one ringgit a day is actually possible for a lot of people. And that is actually considered a saving. So uh, we have done... Uh, this project, I mean, we are not saying this because like, you know, uh, just to say it, but we have done some programs with uh, micro-entrepreneurs, a very uh, basic, our kakak who jual nasi lemak, you know, and we have done uh, programs with them and they come back to tell us, you know, like, oh, look, I've, I've managed to save uh, 3,000 in this year, you know, just by, just by setting uh, aside a ringgit, two ringgit. I will even like started saving the green. So every five ringgit I have, I save it. And that accumulated to this amount. So savings is possible, but it's just that finding the right method. So it's not about how much you do, but it's about how consistent you are with that. So that habit is something that's very important. And this savings have has really helped a lot of people during emergencies where you don't have to rely on loan. Um, just to share an example, this was shared by a young student, uh, a young adult to me. Uh, she shared that you know while she was in while she was studying, uh, her first financial literacy or financial education came from her dad, where she was studying away. Uh, she was away studying, sorry, and um, he she she he would like need to give her monthly allowances, right? So he would actually ask her to list down the expenses that are going to happen with, I mean, you have to like uh, uh, show your budget first, you know, show your budget first and, you know, uh, let him know what you're going to spend and then he'll give you the money. And after that, she had to track and let him know back that this is how much I spent. So that habit was uh, calculated by her father was, you know, he, he insists on that habit. I mean, at first, of course, as a student, she hated it, but, over the years, she felt that it was so good, it was so easy. And she said even when she started working, she didn't earn that much. She had all the current youth difficulties, but she was able to manage whatever she has. I mean, whatever she earns, whatever she has to spend because she knew where her money was going. She knew to track. She knew she had that habit. So I think it's about getting into and doing that. It's the first step. And of course, there are challenges to it. We are not going to say it's all going to be pretty smooth, good and clear after that. But there will definitely be challenges to it. But it's about being consistent over it. And eventually, uh, you will see the fruit to it. There will be always uh, wages issue. There will be always high cost of living. You know, there will be a lot of challenges. 
obviously we want changes to that. We're not going to say, no, we don't want changes. But those are big things, you know, and those are not within our control yet. So what can we do within our control? So let's look at ourselves. Then, you know, we hope that, you know, other things will also fall in place. Okay, but that aside, right, what can the government do? Because this is a nationwide issue, right? There are impacts to household debt. There's impact to the economy if the youth keeps getting deeper and deeper into debt, right? Obviously, uh, if you are already in problem, I believe the redress avenues are there already. So, you know, communities, uh, schools, or, you know, higher learning institutions should be aware and uh, understand where they can go for help because we we don't want them uh, taking up the wrong action, digging even deeper holes and getting into deeper problems. So, you know, like AKPK is there. But I also uh, feel that, you know, there should be uh, a compulsory uh, financial education made in higher learning institutions or even uh, as they soon as they finish school because we do not, not, not everybody heads towards higher learning, you know, some may go into the freelance, the gig economy, right? So education should be made compulsory and also compulsory before we call it timely education, like, you know, before you make a commitment, like before I buy a house, you know, Bank Negara started this, or we started this rumahku. So before you, uh, first time for first time home buyers, you know, before you take up this loan, you would have to understand, uh, you have to go through this education first. You have to go through this education online, and then you have that cert, and then, and that would be like one of the pointers to get the loan, you know. So uh, we need more of those kind of timely education. So before you get married, uh, like we are with Jakim, uh, for the Muslims, they have the marital cost, right? So they have a cost on finances as well. So we hope that that will be uh, made compulsory to all, you know, because these are big decisions you make in life. So it, it probably could help prevent certain decisions that you're really not ready yet. All right. Okay. And with that, we've reached the end of our show. That's all the time we have for Ringgit and Sense. I've been speaking to Nirmala Supramaniam. She's the head of the Household Financial Education Department with the Credit Counseling and Debt Management Agency, or better known as AKPK. Join us again next week for more discussions on personal finance. We have the 10 a.m. news bulletin coming up next, followed by Enterprise. I'm Sim Weeboon from The Morning Run at BFM 89.9. Ringgit and Sense is brought to you by Sun Life Malaysia, your lifetime insurance and takaful partner. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.